Our service doesn't end after we leave the military. The mission changes, but we still find the need to be of service. What's yours? Listen in as we talk to our guests about their military careers and life after the uniform in their second service. This podcast is sponsored by Fortis et Fidelis, a brand dedicated to honoring the brave and faithful. Make sure to check out fortis-fidelis.com and support the podcast by subscribing to the show and leaving us a five-star review on all the podcast platforms. Now, let's get to the show. What's going on, everyone? Raiden here. And we just want to let you all know that for the second year in a row, the Brave and Faithful podcast has been nominated by the Veteran Podcast Awards as one of the top best overall podcasts and the best Navy-hosted podcasts. Make sure you all go to veteranpodcastawards.com slash vote and vote for our podcast for the best overall and the best Navy-hosted podcast. Voting begins August 8th and ends September 18th. So again, head over to veteranpodcastawards.com slash vote and vote for the Brave and Faithful podcast for the best overall and the best Navy hosted podcast. Thank you all for your support. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Brave and Faithful podcast. Uh, I have today, she is an active duty naval commander, uh, orthodontist, uh, keynote speaker, and also has is an author with the book Commander to Crown, Lessons Learned as a Naval Officer, Orthodontist, and Beauty Queen. I have with me Corinne Devin. What's going on, ma'am? How you doing? I'm doing wonderful greetings from the future in Japan, and it is so <laughs> exciting to connect with another uh, fellow service member on the other side of the world, and one of my favorite places, Texas, of all of, of all places. So yes, I'm really happy to be here, and thank you so much for having me. Well, well thanks for, uh, for taking the time and uh, you know, sharing your story here with us. Um, you know, before we get started and, and talk about uh, with the book and all that. Can you share with our audience a little bit about um, your service? I mentioned you were a Naval Commander Orthodontist. Um, how long have you been in the service for? Well, I signed up on May 12th of 2007. So I've been in for 15 years. And okay. since I joined the Navy, I came in actually with a scholarship. It's called a Health Profession Scholarship Program. So if any of your listeners are looking to have their medical school, dental school, pharmacy, you name it, paid for, Uncle Sam is the way to go, especially with how expensive education could be. So I raised my hand, joined the military, and then from there, my career took me to Naval Medical Center San Diego, where I just did a one-year advanced education dental dentistry, basically practicing all the things I didn't get to do in dental school. And from there, was operational with the Marines in Iraq. And while I was there, I had so much fun, wire and Marine jaws shut that I thought, gosh, I want to be an orthodontist. <laughs> and got picked up for residency, which brought me to where you are in San Antonio, Texas, for a couple of years. And since then, I've been an orthodontist in the Navy and never one place for very long. If, if any of your uh, audience knows, there's only 14 orthodontists in the entire Navy in the world. Um, so that has brought me um, back to my second tour of Japan, where I'm currently at right now and um, very happy to be here. Um, it's a beautiful country. And when it opens, I strongly encourage people to come visit. So 15 years, um, you, you mentioned HPSP. Not a lot of many people know about that. Um, it's actually a great program. Can you kind of share with us briefly how you um, knew about it and how you applied? Sure. So as the HPSP, it's a, pro it's a scholarship that they offer in the Army, Air Force, and Navy. And it offers two, three, and four-year scholarships. The Navy also offers a unique program called HPCP, which is Health Profession Collegiate Program. And that's only done by the Navy. And basically what it is, is no matter the cost of the school, for the scholarship program, they cover 100%. They give you a monthly stipend. And how I found about this was just looking for ways to pay for education. 
and through different forums. And if anyone in your audience wants to learn more, I've set on boards, interviewing for people, recruiting people. Um, I'm not doing it this year because they have to give a break because they want, you know, fresh new faces to be on the boards, but they can always reach out to me. But if you just Google HPSP, you'll find a ton of information out there. And I would encourage people to apply and research early on because you have to, usually when you apply for dental school or medical school, it's usually done your third year in college right before you take the MCAT, the DAT. And then as a result, you get the scholarship from the Navy even before or Army or Air Force before you get accepted into dental school. And it's a great tool to use for admissions committees because they know not only is the funding taken care of, but when you graduate, you're not going to stay in the local area, compete with the local you know, practitioners. You're going to go off to the service. And right. so for every year, the scholarship covers or the collegiate program where that one, you get your living expenses paid for and you accrue time and service as an E6 or E5. I'd have to look it up. Um, you owe to the military. So if you do three years, you owe three years. If you do four years, you owe four years. And it's great having a job because you're getting paid as a Navy lieutenant or army captain or air force captain when you come in immediately upon graduation and i will tell you when you graduate from dental school the hardest thing is that you have to wait for your license to go in effect and knowing that you have a job to start in right with the military is such a beautiful thing and get all that experience you don't have to worry about health insurance or all those things once you graduate so it's it's a great program i, I can't speak enough um i don't know many two people that can pay for their dental school Right. having rich parents or pay it off in that short of a time. It usually takes people about 10 years to pay off their education, that graduate level. Yeah. I just thank you for um, clarifying that and explaining that to our audience. I just want to make sure you know they knew about that opportunity because not a lot of people know about that. Um, I, I, I know uh, I had a department head one time who went through that program and she, she, you know, she had high praise for it. So, um, so go, moving, moving forward, uh, you mentioned you've been in 15 years, right? Um, are, we, are you looking to uh, continue on till 20 or like what are, what are the plans with that? Well, if you told my eight-year-old self that I would have joined the military in the first place, I would have told you you were crazy um, because <laughs> I signed up to do the exact job my father did. My dad was a Navy dentist for 20 years. And, you know, I never dreamed that I would be in as long. I'm definitely going to do 20. I'm too close not to do it for all the benefits that come with it. But what happened was at different points of my career, there was a point where I was at a crossroad. And I remember many people in the service would tell me, you'll know when you want to get out or something will happen that will change your mind. So I had a few points in my career where that happened. So when I was off on deployment and I got picked up for residency, I knew that that would add more time to my commitment. And it did. It added three more years to my commitment. But when I was done with my commitment, I was about at eight or nine years. I'd have to look at the exact time. Um, I was at, yeah, 2015 and I came in 2007. So I was about eight years and I was coming, I was in the middle of my orders in San Diego. I was interviewing for different jobs. I was moonlighting and I was having a hard time finding a really good practice to join. Joining a practice is like joining to a marriage. There are so many factors that go into it. And I was really struggling on finding a good place to work. And also that, that time in my life, I had a cancer scare. Um, that really kind of shook me to my core where I wasn't able to work for about a week or two, um, going through some treatments and I'm fine, but it was just one of those things where, you know, life kind of throws a curveball. And then the month before I could turn in my papers to separate because the military, you have to let them know your, it's called your RAD, your resignation of active duty, which is done about, I think nine to 12 months out is what the instruction says. I got orders to move to Italy. And I didn't know what to do. I was struggling. I reached out to every one of my mentors, military, civilian, and every single one of them said, go. You can always do private practice. When in your life could you ever go and live in Italy and do your job? Like I would trade places with you. And these were right. people who were very successful, who made great money in private practice, who I thought were living at large. And so I went and it turned out to be one of the best tours of my career. Um, when I was leaving San Diego, I had some leadership that was pretty toxic and I had, you know, some other leaders that I loved working with, but I knew I needed, I needed a change. And Italy gave that to me on so many levels. Moving to Italy, I will tell you was, was hard because not having a car for three months and finding a place to get settled, moving the month of August where the entire country shuts down was challenging, but through it, I met some of the best people connections and and, and made a family overseas and had the adventures that I, I really hope to have again. I really hope to do another tour in Italy because of just the experiences I had. And so 
in Italy. Um, I was supposed to come back to the States. However, being such a small community where if something happens to one member of our community in the year you're moving, it affects almost everyone in that cycle. And that's what happened. And it, it forced me to come to Japan and not realizing at the time, but Japan was probably the best place for my career because I was getting more seasoned as an 05. And as a result, next year I'm in zone for 06. And I couldn't ask to be at a better command that takes care of me for leadership, offers me opportunities at different um, collaterals that I wouldn't have had stateside because of just the requirements of the job stateside and being at larger commands the stateside, finding those command collaterals or doing those opportunities are just much harder because overseas you have each other you you all you have is each other you look out for right, each other yeah. and i think the, the bond is so much stronger and you could probably attest to it from your time on deployment there's things that you would do for your people or things that you can give them the latitude to do that you just don't have that that same uh level of intimacy as you do stateside it's funny how like sometimes you know you get put in situations where you're not really not sure what to decide or like what's going to happen and then you go there and like, you know, things are well better off than what you would expect them, right? Like what happened to you in Italy and then going to Japan was like career-wise turned out to be good for your career. Yeah, it, it really has. And, and even getting my orders, um, it's kind of bittersweet because I... Um... I know it's the I know it's time for me to go, but at the same time, part of me, um, I, you get comfortable, and I think that's something we can all say. Whether your children can say it growing up in the military, and I can say it as a kid, versus when you get into your career as an adult, you realize that as soon as you get comfortable, the military moves you. As soon yeah. as you feel like it takes you about six months to kind of get a groove in, and then you maybe got that for a year, and next year is actually going to be my ninth move in the military. Right. Um, so I've, I've never been in, being young and single and ambitious and driven has been great, but it's also um, made me the prime person where the detailers are like, okay, we need you to move. And I've gotten my orders usually anywhere from one week to about two months. This time getting my orders this far in advance is just, I've never had that in my entire career ever. So I, I guess they're looking out for me at this point. Like you've done your, you've, you've paid your dues. <laughs> We're going to let you know <laughs> much sooner than later. Yeah. You bring out like the comfort. I mean, I think that's for me, that's what I like about being in the military is like, because, you know, going in like deployments, you're taught like complacency kills, but also comfort sometimes kills, right? Because when you, when you're comfortable, comfortable, you know, you tend to kind of like, there's not much growth there. So, you know, with, with, the, with the move and, like, different duty assignments and collaterals and things like that, it kind of it challenges you every day to kind of grow and, and be better. It, it really, really does. And I, um, I think, I'm a, you know, I'm a Christian woman. I believe in God, and I believe that God will put people in your life for a reason and take them out for a reason. And just like he will put obstacles and hurdles in front of you, and you have to look at them as opportunities to be better, to grow better. Because if not, if you stay at the same place, then you're not going in the direction you want. You're going backwards. Right. And, and no one likes going backwards <laughs> in definitely, anything. Definitely. <laughs> so so, um, so you, you mentioned 15 years. What's, what do you think has been the most rewarding maybe moment or experience you've had so far in your service? Gosh, that's like asking a woman to pick out her favorite shoes in the closet. <laughs> 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 she only gets to keep one. Um, you know, there's a few moments that have been pretty pivotal in my life. I would say, you know, one of the pivotal moments I had was actually before I came in the Navy full time when I was a clerk. That's what they call us, our HPSP scholarship attendees, where we get to maybe come down to a naval base during our uh, dental school or medical school tenure. So I came to San Diego because I went to dental school in Las Vegas. And it was having a mentor of mine tell me that I had the personality of an orthodontist. And that was Captain Scott Curtis, who just retired in June. That's the tough part. When you become a commander, all your mentors start retiring. So I'm, I'm looking for some new ones that haven't left me in the service yet. Um, and that was really pivotal because at the time I was told by that by another orthodontist who I'm a good, who's, you know, like family to me. And then it also happened with an oral surgeon and having those three people believe in me when others didn't, when I had other officers that were my, that were my attendees, not really ask, you know, plateaued me to get into a specialty, very competitive, very early on in my career. So I would say that was probably one of the first pivotal moments. And then I would tell you probably another pivotal moment for me 
was when I was in Italy and I had a, another department head who really took the time to help me grow into this position. And I say that because I was a lieutenant commander in zone, move, which the detailer should never do. And between him and my director of general services who looked out for me, really helped groom me to be the leader I am because I walked into this department head position where I was 20 to 30 years younger than the other officers I was in charge of. Mm. And anyone knows generational gaps, communication would be so different across those levels. And I'm so grateful for that because it really allowed me to grow as a leader, but also allow it forced me to change for so often we want our people to change. But really, we got to look in the mirror and change ourselves and who we need to be for the people that we leave and also have the courage to do so. And courage is a skill set. It's not something that's just ingrained in you as, as well as being a leader. And so for me, that really helped groom me to handle really tough situations. And I feel really elevate to where I am now being a department head of twice as many people and a different duty station where I have three bosses to answer to and um and juggle that and juggle that with grace. So yeah, those are, those are probably a couple of pivotal moments for me. Yeah. Those are, that's, that's a great point. Have that courage to, you know, especially, especially nowadays, like you mentioned the generational gaps and, you know, communication piece, right? Like it's, it's being able to be adaptive and being able to change with the times. Um, Cause it, it just doesn't work anymore where you just tell people what to do because you told them to like some Kids nowadays, I feel so old saying that, but uh, kids now nowadays, like you have to explain things to them and, and you know, kind of have that buy-in as far as like why, why we're doing things and, and what's the purpose of it. It's um, one thing that Japan culture does so well, so beautifully that I would like to see more in our American culture that you touch on is being fully present in the moment. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that, I'll give you a great example of something they do that we don't do is in the Japanese culture, when you hand a business card to someone, very often in Americans, what do we do? We take the card and we throw it in our wallet, we throw it in our mm-hmm. purse, we throw it in our bag, we don't think about it. But in the Japanese culture, you are taught to hold that card in your hand with both hands for the entire conversation you have with that person. And if you don't, you're being disrespectful and dismissive. And what I've learned, especially with the Gen Z, since that makes up a good portion of our military, especially our young um, enlisted military, is they want someone who's really going to be fully present, explain things, give them that why, make them feel inspired, make them feel that they mattered. Because doing those things early on really sets a great foundation of what you need to ask them for down the road when you don't have the time or you may not have the bandwidth to explain things and making they feel they matter. One thing that I do a lot with my people is I have them write things down or I write things down. If you come into my office, you'll see post-it notes or you'll see reminders on phones or I'll ask them to put something in their phone because now I'm getting them engaged in the process. And you know, you're right. It's learn to adapt. What may work for one person may not work for another, yeah. but it's, it's, it's also being open and being honest. And I would say one thing I've done on this tour is really learning how to give people the benefit of the doubt or saying, gosh, I didn't see it from your perspective or using words like awareness to keep people off the defensive, because let's be honest, a lot of them grew up in the culture where they had phones their whole time. They weren't forced to do certain interactions that maybe you or I had growing up or being in those uncomfortable social situations. And the military, for many of them, is their, is like their you know infancy of education, of learning how to deal with difficult social situations in the world, that things are just not handed to them. Right. You're not just not given a gold star for just showing up for the day. And um, it's tough. It's it's really, really tough. And I rely heavily on my chiefs, uh, my senior chiefs for their help, because it's, it's definitely a fine line you have to walk. And uh, I think that's tough as a leader. You want to learn in and you want to be relatable, but you also have to let them know that you're their boss. And right. that's that's a tough line to walk. It's something that I'm always, always learning. <laughs> so, um, you know, Dr. Curran, so you also while serving, um, I was reading your, your bio. So you're also a triple crown holding beauty queen what what can you explain to our audience like what, what does that mean and uh, sure. what are those competitions you, you, you competed at so i'll need to give a little backstory um i grew up in a military family so the idea of competing in any sort of pageants was not existent in my family it was like i'm throwing i'm holding a, a softball glove or i would maybe get a twirl of a baton but that was the let that was the most 
feminine thing my father would ever have me do because I was raised with a commander in the house who even to this day will probably scare any man I bring home. <laughs> um, but what ended up happening is when I was in dental school, my second year in dental school at University of Nevada, Las Vegas, uh, one of my friends um, was talking to me about how the, in the Miss USA pageant the night before the second runner up was a dental student. And she's like, Corinne, you should do this. And before I had a chance to respond, a colleague who was right behind me was like, oh, Corinne can never do it. And I was like, oh, okay, watch me. Challenge yourself. So my, <laughs> yeah, like, all right, game on. Like, and so for me, getting into pageants started as a complete dare from someone who told me what he thought my limitations were. Right. And, and that's something I, I really push out to the audience is that you can, like, never let anyone tell you what your limitations are, what you're capable of doing. Um, even if it comes from someone who's a counselor, you know, that, that might be in, in their way of letting you know, hey, listen, you continue on this path you're going to end up nowhere and, and take that as fuel for energy to really make that change. And so for me, that's burned into me competing for Miss Nevada USA, getting first runner up when I had no clue, you know, what it is on stage. They ask you for world peace. And I'm like, are you kidding me? World peace would make my job so much easier. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I wouldn't have my friends deploy. I wouldn't have to worry about sending people off into battle and wondering when they come back, you know? Um, but no, it turned into me doing a um, competitions and I won Miss Nevada right before I came into the Navy. And learning that with a great, with some great bosses I've had in the military that, wow, like there's a whole nother world here than just glitz and high heels and, and swimsuit and, and pageant gowns. Like I met women who sent me care packages to me and my team overseas. I met a level of camaraderie that rivaled what we have in the military. I mean, when I came to Texas, pageant women were the ones who put me up in a house and helped me find a place to live. Um, you know, pageant women were the, were the ones that helped me do my dissertation on my thesis to graduate from orthodontic residency in the military. Oh. And through them, I learned really great public speaking skills that let's be honest, when you go into a board meeting or when I have to put on my uniform and explain to some commanding officer or executive officer why he should allow his sailor, officer, Marine, airmen, you name it, get braces. And they tell me, all right, doc, you've got 10 minutes. And I can walk in with the confidence and the fortitude to say, sir, I only need one. I learned that from pageants. And so when it goes into the crowns, yes, I treat every competition with a very level of seriousness that attributes to my success in the military. I am a better officer because of pageants and what I've taught me. Um, because through that, you do have people along the way who question you and knowing military instruction and knowing guidance and knowing what you can do is really, really helpful. And through that, it's spilled over to other areas of my career. So when they hear triple crown, it's because I've won three international titles. I've won three national titles and I've won three state, no, two state titles, Nevada and Texas are the only states I've won. And so, okay. um, it's just a level of success. It's no different than you making chief in the Navy or me making commander in the Navy, um, you know, but I would also tell you with every competition I've done, I've learned something in the process. I learned how to meal prep. I've learned how to speak better. I, you know, and so I challenge this to anyone who looks at a hobby or doing, you know, what can you take away from it that you can apply to other areas of your life? And for me, that's what pageantry has done. And, and winning those crowns has, you know, brought those themes of tradition, service, camaraderie, discipline, dedication. And I tell every chief, senior chief and CFL, I'm in better shape for those than any PRT in the Navy. And it's the truth and they know it. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? Want to support an active duty owned brand? Head over to fortis-fidelis.com. Again, that's Fortis-Fidelis.com and help us in honoring the brave and faithful service of our nation's defenders. All proceeds will help us create and provide memorial coins to the families of our fallen service members. Again, that's Fortis-Fidelis.com and help Fortis Fidelis in honoring the brave and faithful. What's going on everyone, Raiden here, and we just want to let y'all know that for the second year in a row, the Brave and Faithful Podcast 
has been nominated by the Veteran Podcast Awards as one of the top best overall podcasts and the best Navy hosted podcasts. Make sure you all go to veteranpodcastawards.com slash vote and vote for our podcast for the best overall and the best Navy hosted podcast. Voting begins August 8th and ends September 18th. So again, head over to veteranpodcastawards.com slash vote and vote for the Brave and Faithful podcast for the best overall and the best Navy hosted podcast. Thank you all for your support. What would you say, um, you know, what would you say is like some misconceptions that, you know, people might have as far as like uh, beauty pageants? Um, what are some of the misconceptions that are out there that, you know, that completely just not true at all? I would say uh, one misconception is um, girls are crown chasers, that they only believe in winning some pretty crown and that's it. Um, now, I will tell you, with any industry, are there people like that that are only out for themselves? Absolutely. That would be, you know, hugely a misconception for me to at least not acknowledge that there are some people. But I would say the vast majority of people that I meet are in it for various different reasons. Um, most women who b- people think that you can only do pageants as a little girl or as a miss. But I know women who compete in pageants all the way into their 80s year old. Oh, wow. um there's miss senior citizen there's miss senior citizen america and you know what she looks phenomenal like i would never guess one that she's her age or two that she can bench or lift or do all these things um that she can do i would say that another misconception is that they don't know how to speak they don't um other than something simple that they don't have lives outside of pageantry I would tell you, even the current Miss USA title holder, if you actually listen to some of the podcasts she's on and hear her schedule, her schedule mirrors very often what we do in the military. She wakes up at five o'clock in the morning to work out and then get ready and go to her job. She's an anchor for a news channel in Kansas, I believe, and does her job and then comes home, meal preps, and then works on any other thing related to her competition. How is that different from us in the military who wake up early, go work out, or maybe wake up to, you know, prep an essay or an eval, whatever we need for a board, go to our job and then come home and do schoolwork for a college degree or, you know what I mean, work on something else. So I would say those are probably some of the most common misconceptions and that we only care about ourselves, that we're only out for ourselves. I, I had a boss in Japan, my first tour of Japan, who really was nervous about me going on the um, – I believe it was the George Washington Bush. I'm trying to remember if that was the ship that was in port. The G-Dub. The G-Dub, yeah, um, for the day. And even though it was on Liberty, so again, I'm not doing things on the Navy time. I'm not getting paid for it. Um, The first person who wanted a picture with me on the boat was the CO's daughter. And the person who was upset about me being on the boat was the person who took that photo. Because he realized, wow, she's just not using this about herself. She's in a force of good to show these kids. I know what it's like to be on a base like this. And here are some of the cool things you can do. And by the way, this is the person I am behind the crown, behind the banner that you see on a silver platter. And it's important for people to see that, especially young kids who are very impressionable. They see someone on stage or they see someone in a picture and think that that was just handed. They don't see the hard work, the dedication, the drive, the discipline that went into it. And I think that's someone that's very, very misconception. That's a big excuse me, misconception about the um, about pageantry. And I really commend. There was a documentary that came out recently that I'll send you a link to from IEHD Productions, where he shows three women in pageantry, two of which are in the uh, military, and another who is a doctor in India, all the things that they do besides just being a woman in pageants. So, yeah. Yeah, I think I, I think a lot of people just see what's what's on the outside, right? They don't really know, necessarily see what goes on in the daily. Like you mentioned, the, uh, the Miss Universe, like the, her schedule and, and things like that. Um, and then it also, don't they... Don't y'all have, also have like um, like a cause or nonprofit that you guys also um, spotlight or, or whatnot that, that brings it to attention? Yes, and thank you so much for mentioning that because I'm I'm I forgot to mention that you're absolutely right. So majority of these p- competitions will allow you to bring a competition that's very near and dear to your heart, or some of them will have a cause 
that they're partnered up with. So for example, when I was in Japan in my last year, I was with Miss Un- I was the Miss United States. And the cause we were partnering up with was with the American Cancer Society. Mm. So a lot of our efforts were bringing uh, light to fun areas about cancers that maybe just didn't get as much exposure. So, you know, um, another one was American Heart Disease, that be- being a le- leading killer and just doing awareness, education, and also help raising funds for it. Because, you know, let's let's be honest, if someone has a name or a title that gets you through the door, that's another opportunity for you to explore, to exploit for that cause. and. Right. Charities are such a great way, doing nonprofit organizations are such a great way for you to get practice in an arena or an area that you may not have otherwise, unless you happen to be in that corporate industry or, or in that field where you have that leverage to do so. Now, are you, uh, are there any other competitions in the future that you'll be uh, participating in? Um, can you share some, some with us or? Yes, I actually am a finalist for the 2022 Miss Veteran America competition that is happening October 30th in Orlando, Florida. And if anyone's interested in participating, sponsorship, I will definitely provide you the details to put in the show notes. They can also reach out to me um, at my email, drcorindevin at gmail.com. But what's so unique about this competition is that only women who have served, whether they're active duty, reserves, or you know, separated, retired, can be part of this competition as a contestant. And what Miss Better, Veteran America represents is the ambassador for the Final Salute program. Now, Final Salute is our dedicated cause. And what it is, it is a nonprofit organization that helps women who are veterans, provides them housing for them and their children. Believe it or not, female veterans are the fastest growing homeless population in the U.S. On any given day, there's about 55,000 of them that are homeless. And what was fascinating to me to learn in this process is that the numbers that are reported by the VA are very underreported because if a woman veteran reports that she's homeless, she's in danger of losing her children. So what do a lot of them do? They don't report. They stay with friends. They couch surf. They do whatever they can. And a lot of them may not feel comfortable going to the VA because they may not have um, separate rooms for male and female veterans with their children to give them privacy. Um, they're kind of lumped into one. And also, I think just women being in combat roles and doing certain th- things in the military is still something that is new to America. You know, very often, and I'm guilty of this too, when I take care of a patient in my chair, I will ask them, oh, you know, is your husband in the military? When really I'm kind of changing the mindset of like, oh, do you or your spouse serve in the military? Because there's only, I think the numbers I read latest, women in the military have actually dropped. There's only about 14% of women that serve the armed forces, which is a shame because there's certain times where you need a female service member, whether it's a certain country where males can't talk to female, uh, female citizens in that country. And so having them there is huge, but also learning about, okay, they served our country. Now they're coming back and they're transitioning out and they're homeless. Wow, that's just, it just blows my mind away. And so being part of a, a competition that supports it and raise money for it is just um, just incredible. And and that's where my journey has taken with doing pageants is really being part of ones that are near and dear to my heart that I really feel that I can take the time to to raise awareness about and also encourage others to to donate to as well. And that's uh, you mentioned final salute. Where can they uh, our audience find out more information on that? Yes. So final salute nonprofit. It was started by Major Jazz Booth. Um, when she actually was a service member and she got disabled, um, not Susan, not disabled, but she got a cancer diagnosis, which prevented her from deploying. And then she lost everything in Hurricane Katrina, which then um, when she realized there wasn't a lot of resources out there, that's when she started Final Salute. And one thing I will tell, it's interesting about Final Salute, because I haven't come across a nonprofit, is they have three areas of where they actually help these women and their children is one, they provide them housing. So there's actually a dedicated house they have. And then two, they will also provide them financial assistance. So let's say their house is located in Alexandria, Virginia, but let's say you have someone in Texas that reaches out, they will provide them funding and help them um, make ends meet so they can pay their bills that month, whether it's rent, utilities. And then three, Project Next Uniform is where they really are going to give them the support of transitioning to their civilian job, whether it's resume, whether it's... um, clothing, whether it's providing them the skills, the things that they need so they can be a contributing member to society. Because a lot of reasons that, actually, I think the number one reason I read that many of these women are homeless is unemployment, is they get out of the service and they don't have a job or they got separated 
um, earlier than that what they had, and they weren't their job that they did in the military doesn't really translate to civilian um, very easily. Like my job isn't worth it, honest translates very very well. But I know that's not the case for some of the jobs of service members that I meet in the military. Right. Um, again, that's uh, final salute. Make sure y'all go check it out, um, and then also check out the is it Miss Veteran. Uh, Miss Veteran America, yes. Okay. Tickets are America. on yes, are on sale and it happens in October thirtieth in Rosen Plaza Hotel in Orlando, Florida. And I'll make sure to send you the note the links as well for you to uh, post. Awesome, awesome. We'll we'll uh, we'll put that in on the show links when the, the episode comes out. Um uh, so Dr. Crane, I want to transition into the book. The book that you recently came out uh, is Commander to Crown, uh, Lessons Learned as a Naval Officer, Orthodontist and Beauty Queen. Uh, what was the uh what was the force behind this, uh, you know, writing this book uh, and, and why write it now? I have always wanted to publish, um, be a published author. And for a long time, I thought I wanted to publish my orthodontic research, which I still have a mentor out there that wants to help me do. So that that is on my to-do list. But I um, I was overwhelmed on where to start and where what to do. And part of it was that I was narrowing my mindset of I could only publish orthodontic research. And I will tell you my residency program, my mentors rotate just as much as we do. So having finding that continuity and finding someone I could help me get to that process was challenging. And what happened was when I won my last um, competition title, Miss International in 2020, I started doing a lot of podcasts because I was in Italy when the pandemic hit. And when, during this time, I also got, I met two officers, naval officers, commanders who uh, were pilots turned physicians who actually were writers. One had published a book the year prior and the other one was working on one. And they really opened up my eyes of how writing is like a muscle. I could write as, early, as little as 15 minutes a day, but also that, that if you really want to publish something, write about something that you know, something that you feel strong and compassionate about that um, that you'll do no matter if you're having a good day or a bad day. And that's when I started writing about my life. My journey was during the pandemic. And, you know, being in Italy where we went into lockdown very quickly, where I could only leave my house maybe two days a week, I really had that time and space to start pouring my heart and my energy into this book. And for me, it turned, it's a labor of love. I will tell you, anyone who wants to write a book, some days you'll love it and other days it'll push you to the limits you never knew existed. But uh, along the way, I learned a lot about myself. I learned about my family history. And what I also learned was how to do it in the military. Yeah. Very often people think that when you're in the military, there's certain things that you cannot do, such as publishing a book. Mm. It can be done, just not very many of us have done it. And I'm so grateful for the people that I got connected in the process because it grew my network and my ability to reach others that I, I didn't even have the bandwidth to even think was possible. And that really helped me um, get to my published book, which took me two years, I think nine or 10 drafts to first digital that I released in April to then print that I released actually this past month. And so I, I had a story I wanted to share. And I kept having people in these podcasts tell me, you really need to write your book down. You really need to share it because only people listen to the podcast see it. And with the book, it's something you can hold, you can look at, and you can always reference and go back to. And so, yeah, I'm really, really excited to to have it have the success I had and, and really to get my story out in the world. And you said uh, you mentioned about two years or so it took you to write the, the whole book. Yes. And then um, so I've had a lot of authors. Um, on the show and I've always asked because that's that's kind of like my one of my goals too is uh to to uh to be an author myself um and I've always asked tips and advice and you know like wh what's helped you like as far as like daily uh writing like do you do like 15 minutes is there a certain um word count that you do every day or uh, how's that process for you so one thing I would say is that if anyone wants to write a book, you know, give yourself a set time of, of how you want to do it. If you're someone who can write for an hour, great. You're, you're better than me. If you're someone who can do 15 minutes, great. But I would say know when you are going to feel the most ready to write. And for a lot of people, they say that the research I've read is that if you can give yourself 15 to 30 minutes towards a goal that you want that's unrelated to your day-to-day -day work, if you can do it before 730 in the morning, you're going to be more committed to it. 
And why is that? Because throughout the day, as you make more decisions, as your day gets maybe hijacked to one direction or another, um, you may not have that same energy at the end of the day. At, at least that that was the case for me. So I always found 15 to 30 minutes to do every day where I would focus on writing. And I would strongly encourage that to anyone. To, you know what time of that day where you feel the most energized, the most at peace to do it. The next piece of advice I would tell you is, you know, write about something you know, write about something that you're passionate about, not be focused on the word count. The words will come. But if you hear something or see something or read something that really struck in you, write it down. I have a notes uh, section on my iPhone that I kept tons of things that I ended up pulling from my book because there might be a time where you see something that really like speaks to you. And then the final tip that I would say is, you know, with any goal in your life, if, you know, ask for help. And for me, I actually had a book coach who was very in tune with nonfiction because obviously nonfiction and fiction are two completely different roles. Right. And obviously knowing your audience is helpful, but having a very unique point of view, because, you know, even right now I'm researching to see if I want to do a children's book. And that is like completely different than what I did with my book and exploring and talking to a lot of people and finding who would be a good fit is key in the process to see. And, and also knowing how much money you're willing to spend. I, I would tell you, you do not go into writing or publishing a book because you want to make money. What is the end goal for you? So for me, the end goal was I wanted to publish my story in the world. And if this would help give me, um, give me credibility to my story when I speak or do podcasts or other events that I'm a part of, that would make me happy. Because I looked at it as my business card, my, you know, my reason why, of, of who I am and what I do and the person I am. And so for you, those would be the questions I would ask yourself um, because writing writing a published book, uh, writing a book, is it's like you training for a marathon and you've never run a day yeah. in your life. It's just like anything. It just takes practice, right? Um, daily, daily practice into it. And um, I don't know, you've, you've heard the uh, book Atomic Habits uh, by James Clare. Great book. Great yeah, book. One, one of my probably top three. But, uh, you know, he mentions on there, like, you know, with, you know, with building habits, it's like if, you know, writing a book is one of the things that you want to do, I mean, doing it, you know, scheduling it about 10 or 15 minutes, however you can spare, right? And just, and just writing, even if it's pain and, and, and you know, uh, to do and get your thoughts down on paper. Absolutely. I, I, he gives such great habits. And I, uh, I, I, I think that's something that you, you have to do is just find a way to build in your schedule or trade it with something or add it to something where you stack it to right. something that you normally do where you're, you're setting yourself up for success for sure. Um, so Dr. Curry, so one last question here before we go to the second segment, what's one thing you want our listeners, our viewers to take away from this episode? I would like them to take away the episode that um, do not let someone else dictate your potential. Do not let someone else mm. dictate what your path is in life. You are the person who can make those choices. And honestly, you are the person who's holding you back from what you want to do. And it, I would be the first person to tell you that I've had to do that where I've looked myself in the mirror, whether it's, you know, the Mel Gibbons giving yourself a high five or reminding yourself the things you're grateful for. Um, so that way you can really empower yourself and be the change and the force not to be reckoned with. And so, yeah, that's what I would tell your audience for sure to leave with them. It's a great advice. Sometimes we, sometimes we get in our own way of accomplishing our goals. Yes, absolutely. Know your worth. <laughs> know your worth. All right. So Dr. Korean, so going into the second segment of the podcast here. So this is what I call the fast five. These are the same five questions as all my guests. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. So first question, what's one hobby you enjoy? I really enjoy, I, I, I don't know if you consider this a hobby, but I enjoy traveling. Um, and I, and I say travel, I mean travel, like even within my own neighborhood. So last night I went to a phenomenal lantern festival of a bunch of paper fish in Japan and just soaking up the sights, the food, the energy. Um, that, that's just something I love to do. Going to someplace and just breathing and being fully present in the moment, um, letting my mind escape. So travel for sure. And then uh, second question here, if you had to choose one person to hang out with for one day, who would it be and why? 
I think I'm going to choose someone different than what I originally told you, but um, Ed Milet. He is a phenomenal, okay. phenomenal speaker, podcast, businessman, entrepreneur. And the reason I would hang out with him is that he is so full of such great wisdom that he shares with people like, you know, don't be stuck with being average, you know, be magnificent and just things that I think would just make you feel that you're just ready to take over the world right. and just what he passes on to his kids and and what he's overcome. And, and I guess for me, I knew he grew up in a troubled childhood from what he shared, but to also to reconnect with with his father, especially and have that full circle, I, I think is just astonishing. You don't see that very often with people and families. And when you do, it reminds you how precious life is and that truly life is meant to be lived. Yeah, I love Ed Milet. Uh, I listen to his podcast, um, Max Out, all the time. Um, he's always like, whenever he talks, it's always just positive, right? It's always like to uplift people. It's nothing, ne it's nothing negative. It really isn't. And I think he even ad addresses that he does a lot of negative self-talk because he's pretty hard on himself. And it's something that he needs to work on is look in the mirror yeah. when he gives us advice. <laughs> I'll have to, uh, he's got a new book out as well, The Power of One More. I have to check that out. Um. All right. So speaking of books, uh, recommend a book for our audience to read. Atomic Habits. I know we already mentioned it, but I really liked the book because I felt like not only does he give great advice, but it's great advice that you can actually apply while you're reading the book um, or looking at areas in your life. And I'll give you a great example of one piece of advice that I took for him is how often is it that when we wake up in the morning, the first thing we all do is look at our cell phones because we set our alarm yeah. on our cell phone. Versus you just hear the alarm, you press news and you go. And then all of a sudden you have all this time in this space that weren't. So I, I work out a lot at home. I work out at home four days a week and the other two days a week I go to the gym and just knowing, setting your day with intention and not letting your mind or your energy get sucked up um, by that is such a great piece of, I feel better. I feel better the days that I, the days that I don't, that days I do that. So yeah, Atomic Habits for sure. Yeah, I'm going, I just got that last year. I'm going again reading rereading again this year so great book uh next question what's your favorite quote and why favorite quote and why um i can't remember the one i sent you but there is one that's coming to my mind that i'm going to share with your audience and it's from retired admiral bono and she says you don't have to give up who you are to be who you want to be and the reason i say that is so often we live in a society that preaches about being an individualist However, sometimes if you're too much of an individualist, you kind of get um, a lot of haters and trolls and people coming after you. And let's be honest, we're in the military where people have to conform. But it's really, I take it as a way of like, you know, like me doing pageants, me publishing a book. Yes, that's probably not very common in the military. However, I've learned the instructions. I learned the proper channels to go through. I learned things in the process to do things the right way so I could still be who I want to be without giving who I giving up who I am. So yeah, great. for sure. Great quote. Um, who who was it by again? Admiral uh, Admiral Bono. Admiral Bono. Okay. Um, all right. Next question. Where where do you see yourself in five years or even ten years from now? So five years, I'll be twenty years in the Navy. Um, I don't know if I'll be quite retiring. It depends. Hopefully, a captain, so that I, my father has to salute me. Um, <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't do it. He's out of the military. He doesn't have to worry about that. Um, I um, will be in California at the time, and we'll see if I'm staying in or transitioning out. I really, really enjoyed my time in Europe, and I would love to do another tour there. So we'll kind of see. Could be there. Could be Washington D.C. Uh, one of my dream jobs to do in the Navy is the career corps planner, but it re they require you to be an 06. And I'm not one yet because I have asked and begged and done everything I could to get to do the job. So but possibly that. Um, but yeah, I see myself in one of those two places and we'll see what other things in my life I'm working on at that point. But that would definitely be the top, top areas I would be hitting on. Awesome. Awesome. So, um, you know, before we go here again, I, you know, I want to thank you for taking the time and, and sharing your story uh, for our audience out there. Make sure you guys go check out the book Commander to Crown. Um, uh, Dr. Karim, where can our audience, where can they follow you and where can they support you at? Thank you so much. So you can find me at Instagram at Dr. Corinne Devin, and that's D-R-C-O-R-I-N-N-E-D-E-V-I-N. -E -E also on Facebook, YouTube, 
And I also have an account with Miss Veteran America that you'll find me on Twitter at Corinne for MBA 2022. And on all those channels, you can definitely reach out to me as well as LinkedIn. And I would be more than happy to answer any questions about any of the areas we touched about today, um, you know, of just life of, of whether it's in the military, orthodontics or pageants or books, you name it, because um, I'm a firm believer that, you know, um, we're only good as the people we surround ourselves with and the people that really can push us to be the best version of ourselves. So yes, thank you so much for having me. Awesome, Dr. Kern. I appreciate the time. Um, again, for our audience, check out the book, Commander of the Crown. Uh, go check out Dr. Corinne at the Miss Veteran America this October 30th, I believe. Is that, is that right? Yes. Okay. Uh, October 30th, Miss Veteran America. Uh, check her out on all her socials, Dr. Corinne Devin. Uh, Dr. Corinne, again, thanks for your time, and uh, hopefully I'll talk to you soon. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. All right. Take care. Hey everyone, Raiden here. I just want to thank you for listening to our podcast. And make sure you guys go check out our website, fortist-fidelis.com. Again, that's fortist-fidelis.com. And learn how you can help us support in providing these memorial coins to the families of the fallen. And make sure you guys go follow our social media on Facebook, FRTS, FDLS. Again, that's FRTS, FDLS. And on Instagram and Twitter at FRTS underscore FDLS. Again, that's FRTS underscore FDLS. And make sure you guys go subscribe, review, and leave a comment on our podcast on all the podcast platforms. Till then, take care.